Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. Let me read you this. Um, you know, so, so I'm done. It was, it was an interesting, the, the spiritual practices and disciplines series did not exactly turn out. I mean, I, I felt like it was good, but there, it seemed like there was a lot of things going on that you guys were going through in the world that kind of crept into. So I didn't specifically just address the disciplines and practices, um, but I felt like it turned out pretty good. And then one of the ones that I wanted to address was Bible reading. So I'm going to hit that super quickly today just like for the next two minutes, and then go into what I feel like God showed me for today. But so, the Center for Bible Engagement. You ever heard of the Center for Bible Engagement? Anybody ever heard of that? I'd never heard of it until recently. But I went and looked up their website, and it's pretty good. It's kind of like a Barna thing. You've ever heard of Barna? Barna does the, the church um, research, you know. They do a lot of uh, polls and whatever the word is. But So this is the Center for Bible Engagement, and they polled 40,000 people. That, that's a pretty big test market, 40,000 people, regarding Bible reading frequency. And there's a lot of detail to it. I'll give you the highlights. Um, what they found is reading the Bible one to three times a week had minimal impact, but, but something happened. There was a pretty big shift when you got to four times a week. So... When, you, when, it, when people read four times a week out of this 40,000 people test group, people became, these are the statistics, 30% less likely to feel lonely or be angry. Don't raise your hand, but does anybody struggle with loneliness or anger? Now, again, you could tip into works righteousness, performance mentality, you know, because a lot of Christianity, a lot, of, a lot of the practice of Christianity is detached from emotion. It's detached from actually affecting your consciousness and affecting your heart, and you just kind of go through the motions. So when I'm talking, I'm not advocating that. I get that. I understand that. Don't do that. Read it in such a way where you actually expect to engage the Spirit of God. Amen? So we're talking about a mature reading, not just, well, I got my time in today. You know, just if, you, if that's it, then just don't do it. You know what I mean? Just don't do it. Do something else that helps you connect with God. Amen? Yes, yes, I'm a pastor, and I'm telling you, don't read your Bible if it's stale and dead. But if it's stale and dead, work on your heart. Get yourself back to that place of inspiration where you sit down and read it, and it speaks to you. It's alive to you. You know what I'm talking about. Amen? All right, so a mature reading, healthy place, engaging the Spirit of God through the Word of God, uh, 40 people became 40% less likely to be edgy and bitter with other people. 40% less likely to be edgy and bitter. I'm just looking. I'm just looking. I, sometimes I like dropping things like that and I watch. Watch you either squirm or I see these, you know. I mean, honestly, you ever get edgy and bitter? People maybe either in your house or your coworkers or family or students or you just it's just like you just just that edge. What so why why 
does reading the Bible four times a week in a healthy context make you 40% less edgy? Because the Word works. The Word works. Say the Word works. It's life. It's bread. It's sustenance. You eat it, and it fuels you. It's not just information. It's just not just information. The Spirit of the living God has expressed Himself in the written Word where we can engage His logic, and then it becomes alive to us, and the Word works within us. It's a seed that works in us, and it, it teaches us. It leads us. It, 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 you know, it informs us how to live. It reminds us of who we are. You know, put it in there. Uh, this is interesting. People became 57% less likely to abuse alcohol. People became 60% less likely to feel spiritually stagnant. You ever felt spiritually stagnant? Honestly, let's do, I, I am going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not saying now, but have you ever felt spiritually stagnant? Just stagnant? L look around. Keep your hand up for just a minute. Look around. Remember when I said you're not alone, you ain't special and unique? Look around. Every, pretty much everybody raised their hand. Now, does that make you a bad Christian? No. Read the Word. Amen? 60%. Uh, 61% less likely to watch porn. That's such a huge issue, you know? The Word, the word works. Then two positive ones. People became 200% more, 200 more likely to share their faith. 200% more likely to share their faith. And then 230% more likely to disciple others. You want to be used of God? You want God to work in your life? You want to live a life of purpose and meaning? Put the Word in there on the regular and engage it. And if it starts to feel st stagnant and stale and like, well, I've read this before, I don't get it, that's your fault. That's not God's fault. God hasn't re removed himself from you. He hasn't become distant from you. you. You've allowed whatever you're going through in life to put you in a corner where you don't feel engaged with the Spirit of God in those moments. Read it. Meditate on it. It's valuable. Give the written word the opportunity to become the living word. Yeah. Amen? And they, they will always verify each other. If you ever start feeling like you're hearing God speak to you, it should verify the written word. If you see the written word and there's a promise in it, you have the right to believe for it. And the Spirit will bring it about in your life. It will manifest. Well, yeah, but, you know, most people, when you pray, this happens. I don't care. God said. Amen? Amen. That's, that's, what, that's, that, that's the challenge of being smart people engaged with a God that we can't see, is that we tend to think in terms of what we can see and what's measurable and what's in our lives and what's real. Light, you know, everything that's in your life is real. And we build our concepts about life and ourselves and other people and our worldviews and everything is built on what's happening in your life. But you must include the movement of the Spirit of God. You must include the written word, and you must include what Jesus paid for. You know, we talked a little bit last Wednesday in our equip session, which we're, good, we're doing the first Wednesday of every month is equip. And that is, I'm asking the prayer team or those involved in ministry here, if you're in actively engaged in ministering to others, I'm asking you to be at that 
the first Wednesday of every month, equip, because we're just going to talk about what does it look like to minister out of a finished work perspective, and what, what, how do you pray for people, you know? So one of the things we talked about was if Jesus paid for it, if, it, if it's related to the atoning work of Christ in the death, burial, and resurrection, you have the legal right to pray for that person to experience it right now. If it's something that's not specifically related to what Jesus paid for for them, but is something that God promised He would lead people into. So in other words, if it's healing, if it's provision, if it's mental health, if it's peace, if it's things that God paid for, Jesus paid for for you, as you're ministering to others, you can, you can encourage them to believe for those things in this moment right now. But if it's a spouse or the right job, or, you know, something that's out here that they need to follow the Spirit of God into, then you agree with them that they, they're receptive to be led by God. Amen? Yes. You can minister. So, so when you're praying for yourself or somebody else, ask yourself, did Jesus do something about this? It, did the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the atoning work of Christ, affect what I'm dealing with right now and what this person is dealing with right now? If it's yes, make that your, the anchor point of your faith and not don't filter it through the circumstance. Don't filter it through the lack or the disappointment. Hold to the promise. That is true no matter what. Yeah, but this happened. Well, I don't care. This is what God said. Well, you don't really live in reality, do you? Well, no, I want to live in God's reality. I'm not denying. I'm not denying it. I see it. I feel it. I'm living in the middle of it. Are you kidding me? But I got faith. I know who God is. And I know what God wants. And I'm not going to try to figure up dumb reasons of why it's not here now. Because I know what He wants is perfect garden, heaven, Jesus in the middle showing us what God wants. Amen? And so, you know, today I'm talking about this idea You know, this phrase has stuck with me. God walks among us. Just think about that for a minute. God walks among us. You know, we have the Holy Spirit. Well, so Jesus, so all the way back in the garden, right, God would come and walk on Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. You remember that? If you hadn't read that story in a while, go back and and look at Genesis and, and just look at that. God would come and walk with them. Think, what would that have been like? God walked with them. How amazing, right? And Jesus, when Jesus, you know, Jesus is God, (laughs) Jesus walked with his people. That's what God wants to do, walk among us, you know. Without getting weird, just think about it. The Holy Spirit is here. Not, not Not everybody heard that. Not, not everybody heard that, but when I said the Holy Spirit is here, Did you? that phone went, hallelujah. <laughs> Listen, if y'all ain't going to cry out, the cell phones will cry out. <laughs> That's what it said, hallelujah. The Holy Spirit is alive. Jesus said the most important thing that could happen is that I go so that the Holy Spirit can come. 
He is here. And, and I, I, am, I am on a mission to demystify the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives because Charismatics, Pentecostals, we get a bad rap because sometimes we're just a little weird and goofy. And the ones that hold solid to the Word, you, you ever, as a Charismatic, you know, in other words, you believe in the gifts, you ever talk to you know, maybe like a Reformed person and they, they're just drilled in the Bible and they know the Bible and they chapter and verse it and they're quoting things at you and they say things to you and they're like standing on the supremacy and the superiority of their knowledge and you're thinking like, I don't know, I don't know nothing. <laughs> don't, don't, first off, don't let that intellectual knowledge diminish your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, know the Word. I hope that those relationships or situations compel you to know the Word, not so that you can combat and battle, but to just so that you, your heart is firm. Your heart is settled in what you believe. Amen? Uh, but the Holy Spirit is alive and active and moving. And Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, He will lead us and guide us in all truth. In this moment right now, I have this picture that the Holy Spirit is in your future, the best possible future that God can imagine for you. The Holy Spirit is standing in that future outside of time, and He's waving to you. Come this way. Come this way. Make this decision. Up, oh, you didn't make that decision. Here, we're going to course correct. Come this way. He's still just constantly leading you and guiding you into all truth. Amen? He will not leave you nor abandon you. And along the path of beckoning, being beckoned by the Holy Spirit is life and blessing so that you can be a blessing. Now, also along that path might be you get called into a dark place of persecution, even to the loss of life maybe. That might happen. God might be standing and calling you because He needs you to go to a particular place. And that might mean, well, as I go here, there's going to be persecution, even to the loss of life. That might happen. So that kind of suffering and that kind of persecution, in other words, for the sake of the gospel, is the only kind of suffering and persecution that God endorses. He's not going to lead you along the path of cancer and COVID and ventilators for some obscure, weird reason to teach you a lesson. No, He has delivered you from that stuff. Amen. Jesus, by His stripes, you were healed on that cross. Do you see the difference? Because in, a lot of times within Christianity, when people are reading the Bible, they see the word suffering and they instantly think flat tires, job loss, you know, losing family members too early, suffering with a disease your entire life. I'm suffering, and God just wants me to remain patient through those things. You know, let me just say this. Job was wrong, and he admitted it after God showed up and said, Who do you think you are? You do not know what you're talking about. Let me just tell you. That's the buyer's translation, but that's pretty much exactly what God said to him. And Job was like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. I knew about you, but now I know you. I repent for everything he'd said about God. That's my Job sermon in 30 seconds. Yeah. But the Holy Spirit, God walks among us. And it's been God's desire from the beginning. Not trying to paint a life picture 
of peaches and cream where nothing bad happens to you. What I'm saying is the spirit of the living God is with you. Amen? Amen. He's in you. Hallelujah. Now, historically, God wanted his presence to be with people so that his people could be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. That's what God is trying to do. Every time God revealed himself, whether it be to Abraham or uh, Noah or Moses or all the patriarchs along the way, it was so that God could be with them to bless them so that they could be a blessing to the nations of the earth. Now, there were covenants involved in that. And so for God to protect and preserve his people so that the Messiah could get into the earth, there were covenantal protections that came with being God's people, which meant these people out here were not. And a lot of times they had to face judgment because most of the time, because of the situations that the people of God drug God into. That's the Old Testament in a nutshell. But let me just walk through a few passages here, and we're just talking about this idea that from the beginning of time, God has desired to live with and walk among His people, leading them to be a blessing to the world. That's what God wants to do to you, do through you. Say, I'm a blessing, I'm a blessing. everywhere I go. Are you? Yep. That's where we're that's that's the end from the beginning. That's the application we're getting to. But I want to just show you how God's walking with us. Look at this. This is second and all I think all of these passages are out of the New American Standard Bible today, that translation. Second Corinthians, the second part of Second Corinthians six, sixteen. For we are the temple of the living God. Say, I'm the temple of God. God lives in me. So as God has said, I will dwell with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. That's you. Say, that's me. That's what God wants. All right, so let's just watch. God called Abram out of idol worship to bless him and bless the world through him. We see that in Genesis 12 too. I will make, so this is God to Abraham. You, you ever see those questions and they're like, if you could time travel, where would you go? What would you see? What would you, well, we, always, we all want to see Jesus, right? Which miracle would you want to see Jesus perform? If you could time travel, what part of Jesus' life would you want to see? Resurrection? Yeah. What else? Multiplying the, Multiplying the loaves. That'd be pretty cool. Like to just sit there and watch it. It's like, I know it's coming. You know, sometimes you got to put yourself in, in an imagination state like that and see that in your mind, put your, like put yourself there in the middle of that time watching him do that. I mean, what would have happened? Did they just, did they, would they have been able to just keep reaching in the basket? You know, I don't know. It's amazing to think about. We don't want to build some kind of doctrine out of, our, out of our imagination, but we know that he did it, right? You make it real to yourself. I mean, thousands of people out there. Two fish, five loaves of bread just kept going. I mean, how long would it have taken? Think about that. How long would it have taken to feed 20,000 people? And then and you, just, you just think about it. Wow. And then, you, and, then, and then the Holy Spirit starts giving you insight. Yeah, that's how it works. The seed is there. 
You have everything you need, and I will multiply it, and I will bring it about, and I will continue to bring it about into your life until it nourishes the farthest extent that it needs to go. Like, that's what I feel like he just spoke to me as I was sitting there thinking about that miracle. You just sit there in it. He just reaffirms it to you. Exodus 19.5, we see. This is Moses. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. In other words, just follow me. <laughs> this, is not a, this is not a reward of righteousness for obedience. This is follow me so you don't die. That's pretty much what he's saying. Then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Say, I am a priest of God. I'm a priest of God's kingdom. We are a holy nation. This is not talking about an ethnic people group. This is talking about, well, I'll show you what it's talking about. This is what it's talking about here, Galatians 3. I just so happen to have this passage ready right here. So, Galatians 3, 6, just as Abraham believed uh, God and it was, it was credited to him as righteousness, therefore recognize that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Are you of faith? Yes. Say, I'm a son of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith will be blessed with Abraham the believer. I like that. Abraham the believer. Just say that of yourself. You know, Clint the believer. Say it of your name. I am Clint the believer. <laughs> and then we just keep going. Talking about this idea of the spirit being with us, walking among us. God wanted a people. God wanted a people group to bless so that that people group could be a holy nation amongst all the people of the earth, to be a blessing to all the earth. So when we talk about God's people and we talk about Israel, what God's really getting at, and I'm not talking about replacement theology where we throw away Israel. I'm not talking about any of that kind of stuff. I'm talking about spiritually. God's holy nation are those who are in Christ. That's what He wants. That holy nation that is a kingdom of priests. That's what we are. We are a kingdom of priests. What do priests do? On behalf of God, minister to the people. On behalf of God, we minister to the nations of the earth to be a blessing to them. A finger point of judgment in the nose of people is not really a blessing to them. Well, brother, you've got to give them the truth. Okay. Yep. How's that working for you? Look at what most of the world thinks about the church. I'm not saying we got to paint a big old marshmallow up in the sky and tickle people's ears. That's a scripture. In the last days, they'll be gathered to themselves, teachers that tickle their ears, scratch their ears, whatever it says. Because that, that's what people accuse this message of. Well, it's those, one of those last day ear tickle churches. They're just trying to make people feel good. What, you want us to make them feel bad? Like, honestly, let's take a poll. Do you want to feel better when you leave church? Raise your hand. Who wants to feel worse when you leave church? Thank you. And I'm not just talking about your feelings. I want you to be encouraged and full of hope. All right, let's keep going. This is um, in the wilderness after Moses went and delivered the people out of Egypt. Have them construct a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. Think about that. 
God's like, all right, I got him out. Which, by the way, God sent, God went to Moses and said, these are my people. I love these people. My people are in captivity. Would you work with me and go to my people and deliver my people? It wasn't even about Moses. God just needed somebody that would go to the people that he loved to bring them out of captivity. Amen? That's what, that's what was happening there. God saw his people and wanted them free. And he, wanted, and he did it through Moses. And so after coming out in, out of captivity, he said, build a sanctuary, build a tabernacle so that I can dwell among them. God, you know, so God walked among us in the garden. We introduced sin and death, which created that separation. But he still wanted to be with his people. As much as he could be, he wanted to be with his people, right? That's the heart of God. According to all that I'm going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, so you shall construct it. You know, I've watched messages that go through the furniture and the, 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 the blueprint of the tabernacle and how it's all very significant. And what we do know from Hebrews is that, that order and arrangement of structure is a reflection of the heavenly holy of holies, where the blood of Christ has been sprinkled on the mercy seat, the heavenly mercy seat that is there. So, you know, it's, we're told that when Jesus rose from the dead, he took his own blood and he went into the heavenly holy of holies. That's a real place. And he sprinkled that heaven, just like the priests would sprinkle the Ark of the Covenant, which is a mercy seat with the blood of goats and bulls. Jesus, with his own blood, went into that eternal place and sprinkled his blood to wash forever the accusation against you away. He kicked Satan out of that place and he sprinkled and clear and cleanse that place that had been defiled. It had been defiled by the presence of the enemy accusing you to God. Did you know that the, that God, that, that the enemy, no enemy has direct access into the throne of God anymore? That when Jesus came up out of that grave, he kicked Satan out. Behold, I saw Satan fall like lightning. That's when the resurrection happened. The enemy is not there speaking directly, whispering things into, God, into God's ear about you. Do you know who is? Jesus, your high priest, whoever intercedes for you. That's happening right now. Right now in this moment, Jesus is, is interceding on your behalf. And he's not asking God to forgive you because that blood is the testimony of your forgiveness that is right there. In this moment, right now, in the heavenly holy of holies... There is a mercy seat that has Jesus' blood sprinkled on it. And it forever testifies that you are forgiven in Christ. Amen. You ever start to feel guilty or question your salvation? Just say, mm -mm, that blood's there. I am secure in Him because that is my eternal security. The blood of Christ in that place that has washed me. Amen? Amen. Don't you dare... Fill in the blank. Don't question it. Don't doubt it. Don't let yourself. Now, should we continue in sin? Does, does that make you want to go out and sin? Well, no. Well, thank you. Hmm, man. That's happening right now. This Jesus is interceding on your behalf, not asking God to forgive you, but declaring the finished work that he accomplished for you over your life. Right now, in this moment, Jesus is praying for you. 
So God all forever has wanted to dwell among his people. Uh, and, and so then Jesus, watch this, you know. So, all right, so let me do this. Um, Jesus, you know, the temple uh, where the Ark of the Covenant, there was levels within it. But in the deepest place, the Holy of Holies, and if you read it, it's actually interesting. A lot of people think that the priests under the Levitical priesthood would go into the presence of God, but they didn't. What actually happened is they would receive the offerings from the people. They would go into the inner court and, you know, all the sacrifice, they would sprinkle the blood from the lamb on, or the different offerings. There are all kinds of different offerings on the bread or in the censure, and they would fill up the room with the censure, with the aroma and the fragrance, which represents the fragrance of Christ coming out of us. Then they would take that blood into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, and then they would come out of that room, and then the Spirit, which they would see, descend down into that heavenly holy or that earthly holy of holies and receive the offering and then go back up. They never even had direct contact. A lot of you, have you how many of you have been taught that the, that the priest went into the presence of God? You've been taught that? Yeah, well, it's actually the residual effect. Nobody raised their hand, maybe like one person. Have you all heard that story? See, you need to read your Bible. See that tie back there, read the Bible at least four times. Huh? They say that, but there's, that's one of those things we're not 100% sure about. But so, All right, so, so that was still going in the time of Jesus, ordained by God, the presence of God coming down to receive the temporary atonement for the, na- for the sins of the nations of the people. That was still happening. In fact, Jesus died on that day of atonement. When they were offering the Yom Kippur sacrifice, Jesus died. And when Jesus said in the end, gave up his spirit, what happened? The veil that separated man from God was torn from the top to the bottom. What does that signify? The spirit of God was no longer separated from mankind. Now the work had been done where God could walk among his people once again and eventually live within his people. This veil was three to four inches thick, like like a like a it'd be like ripping the back of that chair in half. Thicker though, but the you know material. Can you imagine? I mean, who who ripped that? Why? So he could walk among us. So he could be with us. This is Jesus here in Matthew twenty-seven fifty, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split, and also the tombs were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. (laughs) The walking living. (laughs) Just a little bit more on this idea. Hebrews 19. Uh, Hebrews 10, 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Remember, only the priests under that Levitical priesthood could go into the Holy of Holies with the proper sacrifice. Now, we, the nation of priests, God's holy nation and kingdom of priests, now we go in 
to that heavenly holy of holies with the blood of Christ by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is His body. Why? To be a blessing to the nations of the people, to lift their sin off of them, to go into them and preach the gospel so that people will be reconciled to Him. Not just to be born again. I like what Nate preached last week. There's a difference between the gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom. Most of the church is just preaching the gospel of salvation, get born again. But the gospel of the kingdom is, now that you're born again, on earth as it is in heaven. Now that you're born again, you are commissioned into the holy nation of God to be a priest of His kingdom, all of you that have said yes to Jesus, to be a blessing to the nations of the earth. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God, that you are not your own? Don't you know that? Don't you know that the Spirit of the living God lives within you? Don't you know that? The presence always dwelled among them for a purpose. And, the purpo- and I went and studied this. Every time that God revealed Himself or started talking about He wanted to live with His people, it was always related to this idea of that body, that nation, those people, representing Him to bless the world. It was always about increasing that people group to bless the world. God wanted to bless them so that they would increase and bless the world. That's what we're doing. That is our mission. Just back again to this idea. This was the first one. 2 Corinthians 6, 16, second half, "...for we are the temple of the living God." You know, you used to have to go to the temple and have the priest, you know, enact in a ceremony so that you could be forgiven. Now you stand forgiven and you carry the presence. People used to have to go to the temple to receive forgiveness. Now you are the temple. You carry the presence of God in this earth to release the kingdom. to to administer forgiveness. You don't have the power to forgive, but you have the message that draws people unto repentance. And it's love. It's God's no longer holding your sin against you. Be reconciled to God. When you wake up every day and you move about your day, you are the presence of God in this earth as the temple where people used to have to go to that. Now you carry that presence. You move around as a kingdom priest. Together we're a holy nation to be a blessing to the earth. Are you a blessing everywhere you go? I didn't get as many yeses that time. It's a serious thing. Yep, bless God, I'm nice to everybody. Well, okay. Are you a blessing? I don't even know how to fully define that. I want you to spend some time this week and, and, and think about that. Commune with the Spirit of God in your own heart and commit to everywhere I go, I am a blessing for the, to the increase of the kingdom. I'm not going to worry about the weeds. God's dealing with the weeds. Amen. I'm focused on the wheat. Yeah, it could get rough. We don't know. We don't know what the future looks like. I mean, don't worry about it. It doesn't help you worrying about it anyway. God will lead you. 
Commune with His Spirit now. Put the word in now because you're going to need it at some point. Right? I get these calls. I get these emails. People are panicked, desperate, don't know what to do. It's almost too... I don't want to say this because it sounds fatalistic, but it's, it's almost too late to try to get people to eat the fruit of the word in the middle of their crisis because they haven't taken time to put the word in so that they can have the fruit to eat when they're in the crisis. Put it in now because you're going to need it. Well, it just doesn't work for me. I've been praying. I've been confessing. Well, did you do that before you were in the crisis? Because if you didn't develop the faith then, it explains why you don't have it now. I'm not saying you get more faith or any of that. I'm just saying you become more confident. It's practice. It's rehearsing. Rehearse now what it looks like to be empowered and strengthened by God, to have wisdom by God when everything's pretty good, so you know what it feels and looks like when, you, when, when you're actually in a situation where you need it. Rehearse it. That's why you get in that Word and read it. Let it do its work. Let it thrive within you and feed you and strengthen you. And then you, I mean, you look at the ultimate calling. You look at the ultimate thing. This is Jesus when He announces pretty much who He is. You know, so you ever heard people say that Jesus never uh, claimed to be the Messiah? That is not true. He told the woman at the well that he was the Messiah. Uh, you know, when he was standing accused before his accusers at the end, and they said, are you this? He said, it is, you have said it, you know, which basically means, yeah. And, and here, Jesus, reading of himself, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That, that in and of itself is a profession that he is the Messiah. Because what he's about to read is a passage about the Messiah. I'm here, he says, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to give you cancer to teach you a lesson. He has sent me to take away your job and cause confusion in your life. And even worse. No, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable or the acceptable year of the Lord, which is the year of Jubilee, which is total and absolute forgiveness and restoration of all your stuff. This is our confession today. I carry God's presence to be a blessing. Just, just think about that for just a moment. You can close your eyes if you want to. All that we just thought about, talked about, those passages that we looked at, the Spirit of God being in the earth is in you. You are the temple of the living God. You are a priest of God's kingdom. Together we are a holy nation to be a blessing to the earth. And as the nations of the earth watch His kingdom people, bless them, they will be drawn to him. Think about that. You know, I'm just, I'm just reminded, there's an example of what this even looks like in real life. How many of you are familiar with what Glenn Beck is doing, Glenn Beck and David Barton? David Barton has Wall Builders, which is an excellent ministry, a lot of information about the origins of this nation. 
and without even making a political statement, you know, I mean, you can believe what you believe about Glenn Beck. He's a Mormon. Just so you know, Glenn Beck is a Mormon, and Mormon, <laughs> I'm probably going to get emails on this one, but Mormonism started as an end-time cult from a demon that revealed themselves to uh, Joseph Smith, who was a known con artist, who had made up a science fiction story and started a religion, much like L. Ron Hubbard, Hubbard with Scientology. So Glenn, good guy, probably a believer. I'm not saying Mormons aren't Christians because they can probably meet Jesus along the way. I'm just saying the origin story is a little wacky. Wacky is a te theological term. <laughs> Look, I lost one person already. <laughs> I, I figured she can handle that. I'm just teasing. So anyway, when you listen to Glenn, he's fatalistic. In other words, they expect total destruction at any moment. You know, so when you listen to Glenn, you got to remember it's filtered through a theology that's fatalistic in origin. Don't let him scare the pants off of you. That was a really bad, sorry, I didn't mean to throw that visual out there. <laughs> but that's what happens. You ever listen to Glenn and you're like, oh my gosh, I need to get some food and guns and ammo and what's happening? Now, I'm not saying don't get food and ammo. I'm just, you know, I'm just saying <laughs> don't let his perspective drive your, you with me? Yeah, it's true. I love the guy. But he's doing an amazing thing. What he's doing is personally raising funds to rescue Americans from Afghanistan. Did you know that? Amen. He's sending his own money over there. And Kenneth Copeland lent his jet to Glenn and that effort to bring back, I, how many? Who knows? 30,000? Who knows? 12,000 12, about a week ago, and then I think there were more. You know, and so, so then I, I enjoy the Internet. I enjoy podcasts. God has called me to pay attention to, I think, uh, because of my past. I want to reach into this world of people that are starting to lean to, onto psychedelics and all these weird kinds of things to try to have connections and mystical encounters with God. So I watch these podcasts of these people that talk about those kinds of things because I know that God is going to send me into those areas and does. So I want to hear how they think and what they're thinking about using. Well, this one guy that's very big on that stuff did a podcast on Glenn Beck. This guy's not a believer. I think he's gay and was just marveling at what these Christians were doing to rescue their people. That's what I'm talking about. People that don't want to have anything to do with Jesus watching Christians love on each other and think, man, I'd like to be part of that community. That, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about we favor each other over the world, but it starts with us. Our love for one another is an example to the world that we follow Jesus. And then in John 17, Jesus prays that we would be as one with each other as He is with His Father and as He is with us that we would be for each other so the world would believe that God sent Jesus to save them. So in other words, our love for one another should be an example to the world that we follow Jesus and then uniting in our love for each other, go to the world, and they say, man, I want Jesus. I'm willing to believe that God sent him for me too. How do I get in on that? And it's not by leading with the finger of condemnation. 
It's by love, not permissiveness, not turning a blind eye to what's going on in the, you know, state of the nation or the nations of the world. I'm still saying we fight the righteous fights that we need to, but from the place of love, a kingdom of priests united as a holy nation to be a blessing to the world. That's what we are. Amen? Yes. And so commit to it. Commit to that. I am a blessing. I carry the presence of God. Everywhere I go, I will be a blessing. Now, what does that look like for you? How can you be a blessing? Because that, that's what, if you want to, people say, I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. What God, what do you want me to do? I don't feel like I'm living with meaning or purpose, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Well, wake up every day and go be a blessing. And I'm telling you, it will create so much opportunity for ministry that mighty, maybe I'm speaking to somebody online and they sit, you're sitting there and you're thinking God promised that I'm going to have a ministry. Well, you know what? Get out there, love people, be a blessing. And as it creates movement, then you organize. And if it needs funding, you move. You move in that direction. It's just not that hard. Amen. Well, God promised 20 years ago that I would have this ministry. Well, what are you doing? Why are you sitting around? You think he's just going to magically show up and make it happen? That's not how it works. Say that. I'm a blessing. God wants me to be a blessing to the nations of the earth. Let's just stand up, if you would. Put your attention on him. Just think about that for a minute, that promise. God wanted to dwell among his people. God walks among his people. God lives in us. The Holy Spirit is here with us. He's moving in this place today. Just let him move. Just, just, just open your heart to the idea that the Holy Spirit is in you. He's in your life. He's involved with what's going on. He's leading and guiding you in the truth. He's reminding you what Jesus said. He's telling you what the Father is saying. And he's leading you to be a blessing. That might mean you need to clean up some areas in your life so that you quit distracting yourself out of the opportunity to be a blessing. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Maybe, maybe God's even showing you some things that you know you need to get rid of out of your life. Even in this moment, God's showing you. You don't, you don't need that. This, this right here is slowing you down, and you know you don't need it. I'm not condemning you over it. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but I'm showing you this is hurting you. This is hardening your heart toward me. Give it up and let me help you with it. And just turn your heart toward him. Just say, I give it to you. I give you this distraction. I give you this habit. I give you this, belief, this false belief, this doubt. I give it to you. I turn away from it. Now ask him for the grace to help you in that moment. Father, thank you for the grace, the strength that you'll be with me every day that I can just walk free from that thing and no longer be distracted so that I can experience the blessing you have for me so that I can be a blessing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your leading. You know, I just, and I just want to pray provision. You know, a lot of you give and, and you have like automatic gifts set up so we don't really have the opportunity to kind of engage your heart in the act of giving. If you're giving today or you have a regular gift set up, just take a minute. 
Just, just express to God, I trust you with my finances. You are my provider. My job is not my provider. This money is just one way that I can train my heart to trust you. Amen. This money is just one way that I can be a blessing. And I give it freely and I give it joyfully. Yes. I give it cheerfully because you love it when I give, not out of a sense of obligation, but freely. You are under no law to give. You are under the law of liberty. But generosity cultivates faith within you. Generosity teaches you how to trust God. And it funds the work of the ministry. Yes. So just think about that. Whatever, whatever you give, and if you don't give, man, I'm, I just really encourage you, become a gift. Start giving. Start sowing. If this is your church, sow into this ministry. God is moving and working and things are hap <clears throat> excuse me, happening. And then find other things that you want to sow into. Father, we thank you that you define yourself as our provider. So we open our hearts to be blessed by you. Just think about that for just a moment. If God wants to use you to be a blessing, you got to be blessed first. Amen? Just say, I am blessed. blessed. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. I receive. I, re I don't want to limit you in any way. You desire to provide for me exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask or imagine out of your riches and glory so that I can fulfill that calling to be a kingdom priest and a blessing to the nations. Not just financially, but also financially. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I trust you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I, and I just believe for supernatural financial miracles to happen in your life beyond your effort because the spirit of the living God is seeking to provide meat for you exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask just tell him I just I receive it Lord I receive thank you Lord Jesus so that I can be a blessing thank you Lord Jesus thank you Lord Jesus amen